With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Thursday, the 29th of September, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield are a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Go to LibertyShield.com right now and check out both the hardware and software packages, which are available and if you use the code EPL25, that's EPL25, you get 25% off at checkout. 25% off, you can't do better. LibertyShield.com, do it now. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homework company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. Christmas season. Get yourself some Christmas presents. Or get other people Christmas presents, as the case may be. And do remember to check out both the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 to get 10% off. Also, for Christmas presents. Do also check out the Tad Predictable podcast, or at Tad Predictable, hosted by Tadiwa. Previewing and predicting... This weekend's games, always with a guest, always a good show. And remember to check out the EPL Roundtable podcast hosted by Kevin DeVries. Uh, If you're wondering why I've been quiet on social media, the EPL Index account has been shadow banned for seven days. So I can DM people, but I can't tweet, like, or retweet. Uh, No reason has been given for this. There was a tweet that had to be removed from a clip from the Sidemen Sidemen charity match. Uh, I don't, because it was copyright claimed. I don't know if that's what it was, but bizarre. Absolutely bizarre. Anyway, let's get stuck in. Today is Thursday, which means it is questions day. We will start with questions from Dan Robinson. uh, At in underscore at underscore spin. 765. So, Dan asked me to do a 90s Serie A 11 and a 2000s La Liga 11. But if nobody minds, I'm going to do a 90s and 2000s Serie A 11s, two separate ones, and a 90s and 2000s La Liga 11, just because, well, why not? Uh, So, we'll start with 
90s Serie A. So for me, the goalkeeper that defines the 90s in Italian football is Gianluca Pagliuca. Now, you could well go Angelo Peruzzi here, who obviously was an outstanding goalkeeper for Juventus, would go on to play one season at Inter before moving on to Lazio, where he played for a long time in the 2000s. Uh, but Pagliuca, for me, was sensational. If you go back and look at the Sampdoria team that won the league title, he was phenomenal. Then take a look at the time he spent at Inter, where he was consistently outstanding. And then he moved on to Bologna at the end of the decade and played there until 06 and played one season with Ascoli before retiring. 39 Italian caps. That was largely down to Peruzzi. But he also, with Pagliuca, you could, one week he would be the best keeper in the world and one week he would be a bit mental. Uh, but in the 94 World Cup, I thought he was outstanding. I thought he was really, really impressive in the 98 World Cup as well. And I just always liked him. I thought as, as a shot stopper, he was second to none. Incredible athleticism. When he moved from Sampdoria to Inter, it was a world record fee for a goalkeeper. Uh, Seven million. Over his career, he won a Cup Winners' Cup with Samp, the league with Samp. He won three cups, three Cup Italias. He won a UEFA Cup with Inter. And obviously Inter, a little bit of a disappointing spell, and well, not a little bit, of a, a very disappointing 90s for Inter, who routinely spent immense amounts of money, but just never could quite get to the promised land and win the title. So we're going to go with him as the right back. Uh, sorry, that's right, back, as the goalkeeper. Paolo Maldini is obviously the left back. There's just no, there's no possible way it could be anybody else. It has to be Paolo as the left back. I would say Tassati is is probably the best right back, but I don't want this to be entirely made up of AC Milan players. So I'm actually going to go. I'm going to go Beppe Bergami who can play centre-back as well and obviously did for a long time. I'm going to go Beppe Bergami at right-back. Um, Baresi is an obvious one. He has to be in. And I think... I mean, Costa Kurt is the other obvious one. Jurgen Koller was at... Juve for four years. He was great for them before he went to Borussia Dortmund and was great for them and was a key part in their European Cup winning team. Uh, the, the one that I've always liked, though, is Chiro Ferrara, who was just such an elegant defender, but hard as nails as well. Great for Napoli. A vital figure in... Um, in two league titles with Napoli, went on to Juve, 
won five league titles. In the 90s, he won the title in 90, 95, 97, and 98. Also won a Champions League, three-time runner-up in the Champions League, had won a UEFA Cup with uh, with Napoli as well. He was a great player. So I'm going to go with Ferrara at centre-back next to Baresi. So I've got Bergami, Ferrara, Baresi and Maldini. Nobody is ever scoring past that defence. In midfield... So one of the things Dan said to me to do was any dual-eligible players would have to be available for selection for the league they played the most games in. Now... That gives me a bit of a quandary because I don't know which league Zinedine Zidane. I'm guessing he played more games for Real than he did for Juve, but he was great for Juve. Uh, he was he was five years of both. Let's see. Uh, for Juve, 214, but 39 of them came in the 2000s. And he actually played more for, for Real anyway. So we're going to leave him out of the Serie A team. We're going to play a diamond because... So I'm going to go Albertini as the base of the diamond. Or am I? Yeah, I am. I am. I'm going to go Albertini. Veron, I'm going to play in a bit of a box-to-box -box role. Now, he would have been better deeper as well. Um, Juan Sebastian Veron was one of my favourite players for many years uh, for Sampdoria, for Parma, for Lazio. He was just tremendous. And even though he only spent four years of the 90s in Syria, I'm going to pick him because I loved watching him play. And he was part of that great Lazio team that won the league. So I'm going to go with him. Um, I'm going to play Baggio as my 10 behind Weya and a striker. So I need one more midfield. <clears throat> excuse me, one more midfielder. Could go Donadoni. Um Dejan Stankovic. Dejan Stankovic is an interesting one. I think I'm gonna go Zvani Mirboban though. Because Boban in, in those Milan teams in the 90s was ridiculous. They did have some injuries, obviously. But he was such a good player. I'm going to go Boban. It's a very attacking team. But I'm going to go Albertini, Veron, Boban. No one's getting the ball off me. Baggio behind Weya. And... I mean, Van Basten would be the natural pick because he was probably the best strike. He's probably the best nine ever other than the real Ronaldo. But I'm going to put... be fair, I was going to put Ronaldo in my... in my La Liga team, but he only played one season. Now, in the 90s, he only played, two, well, a season and a half, basically, for Inter. He did play more games for them than for Barca. 
when did Van Basten Van Basten got hurt in was it I want to say 93 he did his ankle yeah 93 we'll go Van Basten we'll go Van Basten I know it's a bit disrespectful to Ronaldo but I am going to pick him in my I'm going to I'm going to break the rules and I'm going to pick Ronaldo in my 90s at La Liga team. So Ronaldo will be one of the strikers. Uh, my midfield for the 90s of La Liga is going to have Redondo and Michael Laudrup in midfield, in the centre midfield. Laudrup was a star for the Cruyff Dream Team was then sold because of the three foreigner rule. Went to Real Madrid and was just was brilliant for them as well. So I'm going to pick those two. I'm going to pick Luis Enrique as a winger. He went the other way. He was a Real Madrid player who went on to Barcelona and he was outrageously good for them. And I'm going to take Luis Figo as my other winger. So this is more of a flat 4-4-2. Now the second striker here, there's a few options. I could go Raul. I could go Davor Sucker, who's probably my favourite goal scorer of 90s La Liga. That left foot was incredible. Predrag Mijatovic was incredible as well. And like Sucre was part of that Capello team that won the title and would go on and win the European Cup the following year after Capello had left. But I think Raul is the pick because of longevity. Although Romario... Do you know what? We'll go Romario. That early... And I'm sorry, Luis Enrique, but... Christo Stoichkov has to go in on the left wing. So we're going to go Figo right wing, Laudrup and Redondo in the middle, Stoichkov on the left, Ronaldo and Romario up front. Roberto Carlos will be our left back. He arrived under Capello. At right back, Panucci was very good. Albert Ferrer was good. There's no real standout right back. We'll come back to it. We might have to move somebody into that role. Uh, Fernando Hierro is absolutely one of the centre-backs. I'm, I'm noting that this is very Real Madrid-Barcelona heavy, but that is just the nature of that league at the time. I would say the other centre-back, Nadal was very good. Manolo Sanchez is probably the one, but his best years were in the 80s rather than the 90s. Do you know what? We'll go with him. We'll go with him. We'll go Manolo and we'll go Hierro because it was a partnership for years and it worked very, very well. 
I do think his better years came in the eighties, but he was he was very good through the nineties. Um, right back. Panucci was only there three years before he went back to Inter. He was he was a great right back. He's so he's so underrated historically. Um, Ferrer was very good. What was the fella's name? What was the fella's name? Uh, let me see. Chendo, no. Jimenez was a left back. He was a centre back. Kike Sanchez, Flora is not a bad shout. Great for Valencia. Kike Sanchez, Flores is not a bad shout at all. I did love Rafael Alcorta. Not he was a centre back, but I, he did play full back for a while. Tempted to go for him. Um, I could move Manolo to right back. Roberto Rios is worth a mention here purely on the basis that he moved for a world record fee. For a defender, when he went from Bilbao, sorry, from Betis to Bilbao, but he was never quite as good for Bilbao as he had been at Betis. He's really, really good for Real Betis. Um. How is right back a sticking point? That is bizarre. Um, do you know what? I'm going to go Albert Ferrer. He wasn't spectacular, but he was just, he was always a good solid seven out of 10. And he played for such a long time. Yeah, we'll go Albert Ferrer. And goalkeeper. I mean, Zubi Zareta is the obvious one. Bodo Wildner, I think, is the best keeper that played in Spain during that time. But I am tempted to go 
Canazares. I always like Canazares. Bodo was 96 and he had three really good years before he lost the spot to Casillas. I'll go Canazares. So we've got Canazares, Ferrer, Manolo, Hierro, Roberto Carlos, Figo, Laudrup, Redondo, Stoichkov, Ronaldo, Romario. I know I'm missing some obvious ones here. Like you could absolutely go Rivaldo. Without question, um, his season with Deportivo La Coruña was unbelievable. Then he had three great years in the 90s with Barca. Um, so you could absolutely pick him. But I'm happy enough with the... the I, I think the front six is, is unquestionable. Figo, Laudrup, Redondo, Stoichkov, Ronaldo. I know it's only one season, but I don't care. It is the single best season I've ever seen from a number nine, Andrew Mario. Um, Manolo Hierro, I don't think there's a real case against them. Roberto Carlos, there's no case against. Right back is the only op- the only, the only one that I'm, I'm not... Right back in goalkeeper. I'm not hugely uh, sold on either. I did like both of those players, but for them to be the best of the decade... We'll do 2000s. Um, we'll start with La Liga while we're on La Liga. The goalkeeper is obviously Iker Casillas. I think the left back remains Roberto Carlos. If he played to for for Real till 07 so it's going to be him one of the center backs will obviously be Carlos Puyol Sergio Ramos is going to be our right back The other centre-back, though. I mean, Real went through a whole bunch of different centre-backs. Woodgate, Cannavaro, Walter Samuel. Ivan Helguera obviously played a, a significant period of that decade as well. This guy probably not the best, but one of my favorites, Rafael Marquez. I'm gonna go with him because I just loved. I loved how he read the game. I loved how easy he made the game appear. And like, there's a reason the guy played until he was 39 at a decent level and was playing international football at that level. He's now, I didn't know this, he's now managing the Barcelona B team. But 
he just made it look like football was a cigar and slippers type of thing. Everything was just so easy for him. Always ahead of ahead of the game. Yeah, I'm gonna go him. And what I loved was you could slot him into holding midfield, and it was easy for him. Now the other one that I really, really liked in the 2000s was Gabriel Melito, younger brother of Diego Melito. He would have been great if it wasn't for injuries. He was like really, really special for Saragossa. And just had multiple cruciate knee ligament injuries. And it, it just sort of scuppered his career. He would have been, for Pep, he would have been ideal if he'd stayed the same player. But when he came back after the knee injury, he was just never as good. And he was hard as nails as well. But another one that just made it all look so simple. Um, Right. Midfield then. Now, obviously, Xavi is going to be one. I'm tempted. I, I think I am. I'm going to have. I'm going to have Figo, and I'm going to have Zidane. So Figo and Carlos both hanging around for both. Uh, Zidane definitely comes in. Ronaldinho. Has to be in this team. And I think Samuel Eto has to be the nine, doesn't he? Now, I know people will say Messi, but he didn't get... he. he there's only three years of Messi in this. And I, I know he was incredible, but I'm going overall. Figo was incredible for Real for four or five years of this decade. Zidane the same. Ronaldinho was the best player in the world. Etu is the nine that I need. I'm going to go for... Um, I need a holding midfielder. I need a holding midfielder. And Marco Senna is probably... The best choice. Yeah, I'll go Marcus Senna. So I've got Ramos, Puyol, Rafael Marquez, Roberto Carlos, Figo, Xavi, Senna, Zidane, Ronaldinho, and Etu. That's what I'm going to go with. I'm happy with that. Uh, on to Syria. Buffon is a no-brainer. Zanetti is our right back. We're going to play a back three here because it, it's warranted. So Maldi, um, Zanetti's a right wing back. I'm going to use Maldini as a left wing back. I'm going to go three centre backs of Turam, Cannavaro, and Nesta. Um, 
you have to have Del Piero and you have to have Totti. Shevchenko's going to be my nine with those two behind him. So I need a midfield two. Now, Pavel Nedved wouldn't normally play in a midfield two. For this, he is because he warrants a spot in this team because he was absolutely incredible for Lazio and then for Juve. And the other midfielder, I think I'm going to go Emerson. Great for Roma. Great for Juve. I'm going to go Emerson. Yeah, so Buffon, Turam, Cannavaro, Nesta, Zanetti, Emerson, Nedved, Maldini, Totti, Del Piero, and Shevchenko. Yeah, that's what I'm going to go with. Right, that is that. Uh, moving on. Um, there's part of me that really wants to do Bundesliga teams, but I'm going to just, I'm just going to leave that. What I what I would say is your Bundesliga eleven for the nineties probably looks very very similar to the German team that won the ninety six Euros, but with Ilgner in goal. Stefan Reuter and Christian Ziga as your wing backs, Jurgen Koller and Thomas Helmer as your centre backs, Matthias Zammer as the sweeper. Um, I would say Dieter Eltz and Lothar Matthias would be your central midfield pairing. Not of the cap to Thomas Hassler, who's a phenomenally good footballer. But Lothar was a better player, and I think even Hassler would agree with that. Hassler would be in the squad. Um, Andy Muller as the 10 behind the front two, which would be definitely Klinsman. And Ooh, actually, probably Carol Heinz Riedler. Probably Carl Heinz Riedel. Carl Heinz. Yeah. Oh, he's need four years, I suppose. Maybe not. Stefan Chapuisat uh, would be probably in here with warrants of a shout. He was really, really good for that European Cup winning team. Rita scored two goals in the final, though. And Pierre Litbarski probably deserves a mention. Chapuisat did play eight years with Dortmund in the 90s, as opposed to Riedler, who only played 
the, the three or four. Um, Olaf Tom will be another one who deserves mention. Yeah, see, Lesbarski's best years were the the ninety. Well, they were the eighties, so we're not going to have him. He was great, though. He was so much fun to watch. So yeah, I, I think I'd, I'd go with what I had. So we, we'll go chap with that and Klinsman up front. Um, we'll go Muller as the 10. Else and Mateus in midfield. Reuter and Ziga as the wingbacks. Although Andy Bremer probably deserves mention. Again, was he always seemed more of an 80s at his best in the 80s type. Yeah, I would say he was at his best in the 80s. And to be fair, he only played... Well, he played for Kaiserslautern, but that was at the end of his career. He was well into his 30s at that point. Uh, so, yeah, Christian Ziga as the left wing back. Now, Klinsman only played two years, but it's Klinsman. He has to be in, doesn't he? Klinsman has to be in. It's the best players as well, so I'm going to go with Klinsman. Um... Yeah, Kohler, Helmer as the centre-backs, Ilgner as the goalkeeper, Matthias Sammer as the sweeper. That's what we're going to go with for the 90s Bundesliga, and we're going to leave it that before we get carried away. Uh, Alex Sapopo. Sapopo? Alex, will you send me a DM how to phonetically say your surname, please? Um, anyway... Questions for the pod. I know that some Premier League clubs have affiliations with foreign clubs to act as feeder teams, such as Chelsea and Vietas Arnhem. I know some are based on common ownership, while others are based on strategic partners. I was wondering what Premier League clubs do not have an obvious affiliate and what foreign club do you think would be a good strategic fit for them? Okay, that's interesting. So it's funny, actually. I was looking at this Chelsea thing the other day with Vietas Arnhem, and that does seem to have come to an end now. So I'm assuming it was something that, you know, Roman was friends with somebody. Um, and Brighton have actually used that club this season for two of their players, Kasper Kozlowski and Kjell Sherpin, the big keeper, which is surprising considering Brighton's owner owns a club in Belgium. You would have thought he'd just send his players there. Um, it would, you know, seem to make more sense. Um, but funnily enough, most clubs actually don't have uh, an affiliate now. So, uh, let me see, Premier League. Let's look at this year's team. So, one team in the championship that does is, is Sheffield United. Um, Their ownership group also owns a club in, in Belgium. Is it Bearshot? Is that who they own? Ishmael Koulibaly was there. It is Bearshot. They own Bearshot. Um, Abdullah bin Massad outside. That's the fellow who owns both clubs. So they have that. Um, so let's look at the clubs and see what might make sense. So Arsenal. They don't have anybody. Their, their owners apparently are in the process of looking to do a multi-club model. Now, what I would say is that with the Cronkies and 
the fact that they do own, well, I suppose. They do own the Colorado Rapids, don't they? Yeah, they do. They do own the Colorado Rapids in MLS. So they've already sort of got an affiliate. They just haven't used it yet. Um, I would say for Arsenal... Considering Edu likes to scout Brazil and Arteta is a player that likes technically gifted players, it would probably make sense for them to look at maybe a Portuguese team or a Spanish team. Portugal's obviously been a gateway to Europe for a lot of Brazilian players in the past. Now, one club that has done a very good job with uh, talent identification in recent years is Familica. So I wonder if that might be a club that would make sense for them. They've overachieved the last couple of years. They're a smaller club. Stadium only holds about five and a half thousand. But I would say that's a club that could make sense for, for Arsenal. Um, Aston Villa. They don't have one. We know that their sporting director was at FC Copenhagen for years. And the Danish league is also a really good source of talent. And with clubs like Nordlesjand of late doing a very, very good job bringing through a lot of players from Africa... I wonder if Nordensian is the club that makes sense. And you'd need to buy what you'd need to do is you'd need to buy the Right to Dream Academy in Ghana. And they own, unlike most clubs who have an academy in Africa where the club owns the academy, in this case, the academy owns the club. So I'll say I'll say Nordensian for Villa. Um Bournemouth are currently for sale. It looks like Maxime Denon. Demon has decided to up sticks and go. Uh, he paid £850,000 for his club in 2011, and it looks like he will sell for, you know, three, four hundred million. Um, Bournemouth are a smaller club who kind of pride themselves on doing things the right way and being a community club and, you know, focusing on, um, focusing on having people involved in what they do. And, and, you know, it's a, it's Bournemouth's a nice place to go. So you're looking for someone that matches well with that. Someone that's not a club that courts any controversy a club perhaps that people view as having a good model. I would say Bologna would be a good fit for them. Now, Bologna is a, a fairly decent-sized club, obviously, but they're also a club in Italy where there's a lot of financial problems with um, multiple clubs. And Bologna have good talent ID, and they've obviously done well in recent years bringing in a couple of British players, and obviously we've seen Aaron Hickey and Tommy Asu come to the Premier League from there. I'll just say Bologna 
Uh, Brentford already have theirs in Mittelland. Brighton have theirs with uh, with Union or Union. Um, Chelsea, I, I, I still think the Vitas Arnhem thing makes a lot of sense for them. So I'll just say them. Crystal Palace, now their owners are some very, very ambitious people in, uh, in Josh Harris and David Blitzer. Now, as yet, they don't own a an MLS team. They own the Philadelphia 76ers. They own the New Jersey Devils. But they don't have an MLS team, unless Blitzer has some sort of shares in one. He has shares in a lot of clubs. So they actually, the owner of, The owner of Palace actually has shares in a number of other football clubs. One of the owners, David Blitzer. Uh, Augsburg, ADO Den Haag, Waslan Beveren, and Real Salt Lake. So, I mean, there's your answer. Those clubs, Augsburg, ADO, Wasland, and Real Salt Lake. That is your answer there. It's interesting that Josh Harris isn't involved in all of those because they're, they're generally thick as thieves, those two. They're really good owners. Like, really, really good owners. Steve Parrish did brilliantly when he picked those two. Funnily enough, Blitzer also bought part of the Cleveland Guardians, used to be known as the Cleveland Indians, um and and Harris doesn't appear to be involved in that one either. Hmm. Anyway, there's your answer for Crystal Palace. But they, they are great owners. They're among the very best owners in the league. I would put them Tony Bloom, Matthew Benham. They're they're on a high pedestal for me. Um Everton well, Everton are a bit of a mess, so I don't know that I'd want to inflict Everton onto anyone. But I will say Schalke, another big blue underachiever. Uh, Fulham, they're the, the smallest Premier League club from London, and I would say that's their in. We're, we're the, the afterthought of uh, major cities. And for that reason, I will say uh, Rio Vallecano, also another club that is, you know, is trying to make some noise in a big city. So I'll go them. Um, Leeds. Now, obviously, Rad Razani owns part. The other part is owned by the San Francisco 49ers. So you probably would say let's look at an MLS club.
And I do think we'll see more players been loaned to MLS. I do. I think that's going to be something that happens. Um, so you've got San Jose Earthquakes. That could be one that could make some sense. Then in Europe, an Italian team would make sense, obviously, with the owner there. Um, could he be the person that rescues Cagliari? Yeah, we'll say Calgary. More because I want someone to rescue Calgary than anything else. Uh, Leicester City, obviously Thai owned. Um, they do have one actually, don't they? Uh, Leuven, the the Belgian club, so they're fine. Uh, Liverpool, it looks like they're trying to buy into Brazil, which is exciting. I also think they should look to buy in a couple of other places. So I would look at the Austrian Bundesliga, because I think Austria is a really good breeding ground for players. I think there's a lot of very good clubs there. Um, clubs with, with uh, potential. So the one I'd look at, because it's the best run, is Lask. That's the club I would look to buy because Lask are really, really well run. And they're the only club that in recent years have given um, Salzburg any sort of a, a run for their money. Now, they haven't won the league title since 65, but they're always sort of a bit of a pain in the backside for them. The other league then I'd look at is, is Portugal again. Um Boa Vista. Boa Vista. A sleeping giant. Well, I don't know if a if they're a sleeping giant, but they're a good-sized club. Them are sporting Braga, but I'd go Boa Vista. Um, yeah. So buy in Brazil, buy Boa Vista, and buy Lask, and I think you're golden. City already have 400. Uh, Manchester United. Um... I mean, bring back the Tampa Bay Mutiny, maybe. Um, yeah, United's a funny one. Because they they have, over the years, had a couple of different um, link-ups. Like, if you remember back many years ago, they used to always send players... To, to Belgium um, over to Royal Antwerp. And that was a link that I thought made a lot of sense. So maybe Royal Antwerp again and get that one going. And maybe again an MLS team. Um, you would obviously be looking. Maybe Orlando City. Who owns Orlando City? Uh, oh no, the Wilf family own it. They're not going to sell. They own the Minnesota Vikings. They're they're very much um, invested in their in their clubs. Um, let's see. 
they don't know enough to know if any of these clubs are poorly run or if they are potentially available for sale. Let's just say... Let's just say the Houston Dynamo. I have no idea why, but we'll just say them. Uh, Newcastle, they're going to do it. They're going to go this multi-club uh, multi route. It wouldn't surprise me, though, if they do it on a bigger scale than everybody else. Like, they might, might well go and buy Inter Milan, you know? And, like, they might do it that way, go and buy big clubs. At, like, they could try and buy Marseille, maybe. Um, and and do it on a different scale to everybody else. Uh, Forest Olympiacos is the one, so there's no point in doing anything there. Southampton, I don't know much about their current ownership group, but you know they're a, a smaller club. Um, who try to do things again the right way. But I'd like to see the I'd like to see Southampton link up with a club with you know a decent bit of history and hmm. let's see. Okay, so the same, I, I was going to say Bordeaux, but the same guy actually owns Bordeaux as, as owns Boa Vista. I didn't know he owned Boa Vista either. Um, Gerard Lopez. And Bordeaux got relegated. I'm going to say Bordeaux. I'm going to say Bordeaux. That'll do. Bordeaux for Southampton. Uh, moving on then. We will look at Spurs. I know a lot of Spurs fans would be very happy if Jim Ratcliffe bought them. And he owns Nice, so I'm going to say them. Uh, West Ham, well, they've got um, significant investment from Kretinsky now. And he owns Sparta Prague. So there you go. Wolves. Hmm. Obviously owned by uh, Fusan International, who've got you know far too much money. Um. They could buy anybody they want, really. I mean, they own 25% of Cirque du Soleil. Um, do 
you know what? I'll say Sendetian because I want somebody to save them. So yeah, Sendetian will do there. And that is that. Uh, next question. I was wondering if you could do a championship preview after the first 10 games. Yeah, I will do. I will do. The championship, not everybody's up to 10 games yet, though. So I will do that. I did have a look at them yesterday. Um, but I'll do, do a bit more on them in a couple of games. And uh, we can go from there. Right. We've got a couple more here. Um, this is... Oh, great. Discord is, is going nice and slow. Um, AMK2889. What would you say should be the proper age for a player to make their debut? Do you think the likes of Walcott, Rooney, uh, Gorkov, Gotze, to name just a few, stolen the development after making the debuts at such a young age? Were they overplayed rather than allowed to ease their way to the top flight? Do you worry this could happen with the likes of Bellingham, Foden, Gavi and Pedri? I know that every player's ability and tolerance differ as well as players want to play as much as they can. But sometimes hard to not think that a manager, owner or even fans can be carried away with a shining new toy. Right. I, I do worry. I worry about Bellingham. I worry about Pedri and I worry about Gavi. I don't worry about Foden because I think Guardiola has managed him brilliantly to this point. Like, Phil Foden is, what is he, 22 years of age now? Yeah, 22. And if we look at his minutes played across his career, it's been a very kind of gradual ramp up. Rather than with some young players, you see them just immediately thrown in at the deep end. So if you look at Phil Foden, 17-18, in senior football, he plays about 350 minutes. In 18-19, he plays 327 minutes for the, for the first team in the league, 392 in the Cup, 118 in the Champions League, 195 in the FA Cup. Plays about 1,100 minutes overall. 1920, his second full season in the, in the first team squad, he's in and around 1,800 minutes. So you've gone from 350 to 1,100 to 1,800. 2021, it doubles. It goes to... 3,374 minutes. But now he's 20. Then last season, it's 3,100 minutes. So it drops a little bit. But again, he's 21. So as a teenager, they don't put huge mileage on him. They just build him up slowly. Whereas if we take Jude Bellingham as an example... Jude obviously had that season, his first year with Birmingham in the championship where he played an awful lot of footballs. That was 1920. He played 2,943 minutes. He was 16. 2,943 minutes. Moves on to Dortmund. 2,800 minutes. And again, last season at Dortmund, 3,800 minutes. So up a 1,000. Jude is still 19. 
So he's older than Foden and has... Sorry, sorry, he's younger than Foden. He's almost three years younger than Foden. And at senior level, they've probably got similar enough minutes. So I do worry about, about that. Like, you look at Pedri and the way he moved to Barcelona uh, from Las Palmas. Don't think anyone expected him to have any kind of instant impact. But in his first season there, he plays 52 games, having stepped up from the Secunda division into La Liga, 52 games. Then, after that, he goes and plays at the Euros, plays, I think, every minute, and then goes and plays at the Olympics. Is it any wonder that last season he only played 22 games? that he only played 12 league games. They they ran him into the ground in that first season when he was 18 turning 19. It's no surprise and it's going to I could see the same thing happen with Gavi. So I I don't think there's an issue with a player making their debut at 17 18. Now I think I do think 15 16 is too young personally. I do think it's too young. I think it's also a bit disrespectful to senior players. Um, the problem is that clubs are a little bit forced to do it because there'll always be someone out there that will give a player a debut. And if you just get a young player that has the wrong advice around him or just the wrong type of attitude and ego and they start to push for things, then managers find their hands are a little bit forced. Um, so, But I don't have a problem with a player getting the debut at like 17 if they're managed the way Foden was managed, I do worry when they're managed the way Bellingham and Pedri and, and Gavi have been managed. Um, second question. I think this is our last question for today. Would you say Greg Burhalter is the Ted Lasso of American soccer? He looked pretty good on the sideline against Saudi Arabia in his Nikes, bouncing a ball in between his legs. Uh, I just think Greg Burhalter is, is a poor manager. Um, I don't know why he is the manager of the U.S. men's national team. It's not a job he had done anything to earn. Like, he was average with Hammerby. I would say below average with Columbus Crew. And he has been average with the U.S. men's national team. And I know he won a Nations League, a, a CONCACAF Nations League. I would invite everybody to uh, take a look at the the teams involved, I, I don't think it's nearly as impressive as one would one one would be led to believe. Um, now credit to them, they did beat Mexico in the final, but you know, I mean, Honduras and Cuba were two of their other uh, opponents. Um, they obviously played Canada twice. Um. Which was which was fairly good, but no, I wouldn't be overly impressed by that. Uh, wouldn't be overly impressed by winning the gold cup either. I look at the World Cup qualifiers, and I just think that was really disappointing. Now, the, the gold cup, the one thing I will say is, and I'm and the reason I'm so excited for the 2026 World Cup, the stadiums. Nobody does stadiums better than the Americans. 
nobody. Like, you look at the most recent stadiums being built in the NFL, uh, the Allegiant Stadium in, in Vegas, home of the Raiders, and SoFi in LA, home of the Rams and the Chargers, and they're incredible. Absolutely incredible. Look at um, the AT&T in Dallas for the Cowboys. Phenomenal. Americans just build stadiums better than everybody else. Now, with that said, I think Spurs' stadium is an absolute work of art. It's the best stadium in Europe. But the Americans are just on a, on a different level. Just on a different level. Um, that's the only good thing about the Gold Cup is, is the stadiums. So I, I just think he's a bad manager. Is he the um, Ted Lasso? No, because I'd happily watch Ted Lasso. I don't want to watch what Greg Berhalter puts forward. Uh, we'll take a break. And when we come back, we just have the gossip, I think, and uh, we'll be done. See you then. Right, welcome back. So, um, two bits of news. Denmark will wear toned-down shirts for the World Cup to protest against host Qatar's human rights record and its treatment of migrant workers. Kit provider Hummel has also designed a third all-black kit to represent the colour of mourning. Hummel says it does not wish to be visible in a tournament it claims has cost thousands of lives. We support the Danish national team, but that isn't the same as supporting Qatar as a host nation, it said. As part of the design, the Denmark badge is also toned down. Their playing kit will be a plain red home shirt and an all-white second kit. Denmark's training kit sponsors will also withdraw their logo to give room for messages critical of Qatar. Qatar officials have previously disputed the figures of, on the figures on the debt of migrant workers, working on World Cup facilities, saying the actual total figure at the time in 2021 was 37. I think this is great, and I, I applaud Hummel for doing this, and I hope that other nations will follow suit. The kits themselves, they're actually great looking. Um, if you haven't seen them, it's on the BBC website, so do check them out. I, I applaud them for this, I really do. There are many reasons not to have the World Cup in Qatar. This is the biggest reason. The appalling human rights violations. Um, bad news for Arsenal. Emile Smith-Rowe has had surgery on a groin injury and is unlikely to return until December. Um, he got hurt at Old Trafford, was seen limping off after the game. Uh, having, you know, as part of the warm down, David Ornstein reported on it at the time. And now we know that he has had to have an operation. So wish him a quick recovery. <clears throat> Smithrow, I, I love, I adore watching that lad play. I think he's just fantastic. And I, I as good as Saka, as great as Saka and Foden and all them are, I think if he can stay fit, I think he might well be the most talented of the lot. Um, more of the horrible side of football. Uh, Richarlison had bananas thrown at him 
uh, in Brazil's 5-1 win over Tunisia in Paris. And it, this this disgusting behaviour just needs to stop. It needs to be stamped out. It can no longer be part of our game. But I would ask, how are people getting bananas into a football ground? Like, surely they're being patted down and checked going to an international game like that. That's outrageous. But once again, with Paris, the the security is just lacking. Uh, on to the gossip. Chelsea have joined the race to sign Jude Bellingham. The price for the 19-year-old is set to be $130 million. With Liverpool and Real Madrid also interested, also both Manchester clubs interested. And wouldn't surprise me if Barcelona tried to find a way in, um, even though I don't think they can get that deal done. Lionel Messi could return to Barcelona, according to Vice President Eduard Romeno, who told Spanish radio station El Mati de Catalunya Radio that a move for the Argentine striker could be viable. Manchester City are hoping to have talks with unsettled Portugal midfielder Bernardo Silva to find out if he will try to move again at the end of the season, with the 28-year-old having expressed a desire to leave for the past two summers. Uh, His desired destination is obviously Barcelona. Arsenal are still interested in signing Douglas Luiz to replace injured Ghana midfielder Thomas Partey. Uh, I believe Partey's fit again. Um, Gunners boss Mikel Arteta. I don't think it's the injury to Partey that they're worried about. Um, Barcelona are interested in Ilke Gundogan, who will ha- who has only one year left in his contract. Uh, my guess is he'll re-up for a couple of years. If not, he'll go back to Germany. Bayern Munich sporting director Hassan Salahamazic has defended Sadio Mane, who has failed to score in his last five games. Everton forward Anthony Gordon, who was heavily linked with Chelsea during the window, but says he was never desperate to leave. That is a contradiction of what has been previously said by reputable journalists. Wolves have reportedly signed Dario Asario from Universidad de Chile for a fee of 5.5 million with Real Madrid and Manchester City having previously been linked. This kid is meant to be absolutely sensational. Now, I haven't seen him. He's only 18, uh, has obviously been playing in Chile, which is not a league I watch, but he's meant to be absolutely outstanding. He already has two senior caps for the national team. If Wolves have managed to get him, that could be a hell of a coup. Uh, Tottenham and sorry, Tottenham have targeted Jan Oblak as a long-term replacement for Hugo Lloris. Y- you can't do better than Jan Oblak. So if Tottenham can get him, they should get him. Paris Saint-Germain president Nazir Al-Khalifi said Barcelona's asset sales in the summer to fund signings were not fair and suggested UEFA should investigate their legality. The continued crying between PSG and Barca needs to go away. Tottenham are set to sign Dejan Kulusevski on a permanent deal when his loan from Juventus expires. Uh, Fabrizio Romano, with the real insight there, it's a loan with an obligation to buy. They have to sign him permanently, you moron. Atletico Madrid are considering a move for David De Gea. If Oblak left, bring De Gea in, I think everybody will be happy. Everton have told Venezuela striker Solomon Rondon he is free to find a new club in January after failing to secure a move to Turkey this month. 
Yeah, it would make sense, but you need to bring in another striker. Uh, Chelsea could re-sign Tammy Abraham from Roma via 67 million buyback because they could, but they won't. Uh, Christian Pulisic no longer wants to leave Chelsea after being linked with various clubs. The appointment of Graham Potter means he thinks he has a chance to establish himself. Chelsea want to sign Milan Skriniar when his contract expires at the end of the season. He could play the middle of a back three. Very much so. He obviously plays on the right of a back three for um, Inter. I don't mean, maybe you play Fafana in the middle, him on the right and Koulibaly on the left. Uh, the takeover of Bournemouth by Las Vegas businessman Bill Foley is close to completion and could be finalized in the next seven days. Uh, it's actually it's 150 million that uh, he is looking to spend. So he owns the Las Vegas Golden Knights, uh, who were a recent expansion team in the National Hockey League. Um, he is the chairman of the board of Fidelity National Financial. He is 77. Interesting. Seems to be largely a self-made billionaire. He did try and buy the Jacksonville Jaguars, but she had Khan, who owns Fulham, bought them instead. Uh, was given the NHL expansion for Vegas, which was a big deal to get the Vegas expansion. Um, owns minority share of the T-Mobile Arena, which is that uh, major arena that was built in Vegas in 2016. The UFC use it all the time. It's used for a lot of big boxing events now. Um, they purchased an American Hockey League franchise, uh, relocating the San Antonio Rampage to Henderson, Las Vegas. And uh, they're now called the Silver Knights, which is, you know, Makes sense. If you've got the Golden Knights, you should have the Silver Knights. Maybe they'll, you know, rename Bournemouth the Bronze Knights. Um, they are going to have an indoor football league expansion team as well. Uh, that's American football, not our football. Uh, and they're the Vegas Nighthawks. They're going to play in Henderson as well, along with the Silver Knights in the Dollar Loan Center. Um. Fair play, fair play. Hopefully that one gets done and hopefully he's a good owner, not a bad owner. Um, Portugal right-back Diogo Delo is hopeful of receiving a contract offer from Manchester United. Barcelona, Juventus, Atletico Madrid, AC Milan and Roma are all monitoring his form. I don't believe they're all monitoring his form. I'm assuming that's his agent. But to his credit, he has been good this season, uh, which is a welcome departure from the mediocre performances that he had previously put in at United. Now, he is still only 23, um, but, you know, and he's been there four years now. This is year five for him as a United player. He did spend one of them on loan. Uh, Ollie had no real time for him by the looks of things, but uh, Rangnick liked him, and, and obviously um, Ten Hag likes him. He was fairly average for AC Milan when he was there on loan. Um, but he is he is a talented player, but he needs to start showing now that that talent can be 
consistent. Uh, they paid 19 million for him, which is more than I thought. Anyway, that is it. That is me for today, folks. I will speak to you all tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Have pleasant evenings. Goodbye. Podcast Network.